Chapter thirty of David Copperfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ty Hines. David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Chapter thirty. A loss. I got down to Yarmouth in the evening and went to the inn. I knew that Peggotty's spare room, my room, was likely to have occupation enough in a little while, if that great visitor before whose presence all the living must give place were not already in the house. So I betook myself to the inn, and dined there, and engaged my bed. It was ten o'clock when I went out. Many of the shops were shut, and the town was dull. When I came to Omer and Yoram's, I found the shutters up, but the shop door standing open. As I could obtain a perspective view of Mr. Omer inside, smoking his pipe by the parlour door, I entered and asked him how he was. "'Why, bless my life and soul,' said Mr. Omer, "'how do you find yourself?' take a seat smoke not disagreeable i hope by no means said i i like it in somebody else's pipe what not in your own eh mr omer returned laughing all the better sir bad habit for a young man take a seat i'd smoke myself for the asthma mr omer had made room for me and placed a chair he now sat down again very much out of breath gasping at his pipe as if it contained a supply of that necessary without which he must perish i am sorry to have heard bad news of mr barkis said i mr omer looked at me with a steady countenance and shook his head do you know how he is to-night i asked the very question i should have put to you sir returned mr omer but on account of delicacy it's one of the drawbacks in our line of business when a party's ill we can't ask how the party is the difficulty had not occurred to me though i had had my apprehensions too when i went in of hearing the old tune on its being mentioned i recognised it however and said as much yes yes you understand said mr omer nodding his head we durstn't do it bless you it would be a shock that the generality of parties mightn't recover to say omer and yoram's compliments and how do you find yourself this morning or this afternoon as it may be mr omer and i nodded at each other and mr omer recruited his wind by the aid of his pipe it's one of the things that cut the trade off from attentions they could often wish to show said mr omer take myself if i have known barkis a year to move to as he went by i have known him forty years but i can't go and say how is he I felt it was rather hard on Mr. Omer, and I told him so. "'I'm not more self-interested, I hope, than another man,' said Mr. Omer. "'Look at me. My wind may fail at any moment, and it ain't likely that, to my own knowledge, I'll be self-interested under such circumstances. I say it ain't likely in a man who knows his wind will go, when it does go, as if a pair of bellows was cut open, and that man a grandfather,' said Mr. Omer. I said, "'Not at all.' it ain't that i complain of my line of business said mr omer it ain't that some good and some bad goes no doubt to all callings what i wish is that parties was brought up stronger-minded mr omer with a very complacent and amiable face took several puffs in silence and then said resuming his first point accordingly we're obliged in ascertaining how barkis goes on to limit ourselves to emily she knows what our real objects are, and she don't have any more alarms or suspicions about us than if we were so many lambs. Minnie and Yoram have just stepped down to the house. In fact, she's there after hours helping her aunt a bit, to ask her how he is to-night. And if you was pleased to wait till they come back, they'd give you full particulars. 
Will you take something? A glass of shrub and water now?' "'I smoke on shrub and water myself,' said Mr. Omer, taking up his glass, "'because it's considered softening to the passages, by which this troublesome breath of mine gets into action.' but lord bless you said mr omer huskily it ain't the passages that's out of order give me breath enough said i to my daughter minnie and i'll find passages my dear he really had no breath to spare and it was very alarming to see him laugh when he was again in a condition to be talked to i thanked him for the proffered refreshment which i declined as i had just had dinner and observing that i would wait since he was so good as to invite me until his daughter and his son-in-law came back i inquired how little emily was well sir said mr omer removing his pipe that he might rub his chin i'll tell you truly i shall be glad when her marriage has taken place why so i inquired well she's unsettled at present said mr omer it ain't that she's not as pretty as ever for she's prettier i do assure you she is prettier it ain't that she don't work as well as ever for she does she was worth any six and she is worth any six but somehow she wants heart if you understand said mr omer after rubbing his chin again and smoking a little what i mean in a general way by the expression a long pull and a strong pull and a pull altogether my hearties hurrah i should say to you that that was in a general way what i miss in emily mr omer's face and manner went for so much that i could conscientiously nod my head as divining his meaning my quickness of apprehension seemed to please him and he went on now i consider this principally on account of her being in an unsettled state you see we have talked it over a good deal her uncle and myself and her sweetheart and myself after business and i consider it is principally on account of her being unsettled you must always recollect of emily said mr omer shaking his head gently that she's a most extraordinary affectionate little thing the proverb says you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear well i don't know about that i rather think you may if you begin early in life she has made a home out of that boat, sir, that stone and marble couldn't beat. I am sure she has, said I. To see the clinging of that pretty little thing to her uncle, said Mr. Omer, to see the way she holds on to him, tighter and tighter and closer and closer every day, is to see a sight. Now, you know, there's a struggle going on when that's the case. Why should it be made a longer one than is needful? I listened attentively to the good old fellow, and acquiesced with all my heart in what he said. Therefore, I mentioned to them, said Mr. Omer, in a comfortable, easy-going tone, this. I said, now don't consider Emily nailed down in point of time at all. Make it your own time. Her services have been more valuable than was supposed. Her learning has been quicker than was supposed. Omer and Yoram can run their pen through what remains, and she's free when you wish if she likes to make any little arrangement afterwards in the way of doing any little thing for us at home very well if she don't very well still we're no losers anyhow for don't you see said mr omer touching me with his pipe it ain't likely that a man so short of breath as myself and a grandfather too would go and strain points with a little bit of a blue-eyed blossom like her not at all i am certain said i not at all you are right said mr omer well sir her cousin you know it's a cousin she's going to be married to oh yes i replied i know him well of course you do 
said Mr. Omer. Well, sir, her cousin being, as it appears, in good work, and well to do, thanked me in a very manly sort of manner for this, conducting himself altogether, I must say, in a way that gives me a high opinion of him, and went and took as comfortable a little house as you or I could wish to clap eyes on. That little house is now furnished, right through, as neat and complete as a doll's parlour, and but for Barkis's illness having taken this bad turn, poor fellow, they would have been man and wife, I dare say, by this time. As it is, there's a postponement. And Emily, Mr. Omer, I inquired, has she become more settled? Why, that, you know, he returned, rubbing his double chin again, can't naturally be expected. The prospect of the change and separation and all that is, as one may say, close to her and far away from her, both at once. Barkis's death needn't put it off much, but his lingering might. Anyway, it's an uncertain state of matters, you see. I see, said I. Consequently, pursued Mr. Omer, Emily's still a little down, and a little fluttered. Perhaps on the whole she's more so than she was. Every day she seems to get fonder and fonder of her uncle, and more loath to part from all of us. A kind word from me brings the tears into her eyes, and if you was to see her with my daughter Minnie's little girl, you'd never forget it. Bless my heart alive! said Mr. Omer, pondering, how she loves that child. Having so favourable an opportunity, it occurred to me to ask Mr. Omer, before our conversation should be interrupted by the return of his daughter and her husband, whether he knew anything of Martha. Ah, he rejoined, shaking his head and looking very much dejected. No good, a sad story, sir, however you come to know it. I never thought there was harm in the girl. I wouldn't wish to mention it before my daughter Minnie, for she'd take me up directly, but I never did. None of us ever did. Mr. Omer, on hearing his daughter's footstep before I heard it, touched me with his pipe and shut up one eye as a caution. She and her husband came in immediately afterwards. The report was that Mr. Barkis was as bad as bad could be, and that he was quite unconscious, and that Mr. Chillip had mournfully said in the kitchen on going away just now, that the College of Physicians and the College of Surgeons and Apothecaries Hall, if they were all called in together, couldn't help him. He was past both colleges, Mr. Chillip said, and the hall could only poison him. Hearing this, and learning that Mr. Peggotty was there, I determined to go to the house at once. I bade good-night to Mr. Omer and to Mr. and Mrs. Yoram, and directed my steps thither, with a solemn feeling which made Mr. Barkis quite a new and different creature. My low tap at the door was answered by Mr. Peggotty. He was not so much surprised to see me as I had expected. I remarked this in Peggotty too when she came down, and I have seen it since, and I think in the expectation of that dread surprise all other changes and surprises dwindled to nothing. I shook hands with Mr. Peggotty and passed into the kitchen, while he softly closed the door. Little Emily was sitting by the fire with her hands before her face. Ham was standing near her. We spoke in whispers, listening between whiles, for any sound in the room above. I had not thought of it on the occasion of my last visit, but how strange it was to me now to miss Mr. Barkis out of the kitchen. "'This is very kind of you, Master Davy,' said Mr. Peggotty. "'It's uncommon kind,' said Ham. "'Emily, my dear,' cried Mr. Peggotty, "'see here, here's Master Davy come. What, cheer up, pretty, not a word to Master Davy.' There was a trembling upon her that I can see now. The coldness of her hand when I touched it I can feel yet. Its only sign of animation was to shrink from mine. 
and then she glided from the chair and creeping to the other side of her uncle bowed herself silently and trembling still upon his breast it's such a loving art said mr peggotty smoothing her rich hair with his great hard hand that it can't abear the sorrow of this it's natural in young folk master davy when they're new to these here trials and timid like my little bird it's natural she clung the closer to him but neither lifted up her face nor spoke a word it's getting very late my dear said mr peggotty and here's ham come for to take you home there go along with t'other loving heart what emily eh my pretty the sound of her voice had not reached me but he bent his head as if he listened to her and then said let you stay with your uncle why you don't mean to ask me that stay with your uncle moppet when your husband that'll be so soon as here for to take you home now a person wouldn't think of it for to see this little thing alongside a rough weather chap like me said mr peggotty looking round at both of us with infinite pride but the sea ain't more salt in it than she has fondness in her for her uncle a foolish little emily emily's in the right now master davy said ham look ye here as emily wishes of it and as she's hurried and frightened like besides i'll leave her till morning let me stay too no no said mr peggotty you don't ought to a married man like you or what's as good as to take and hull away a day's work and you do ought to watch and work both that won't do you go home and turn in you ain't a fear of emily not being took good care on i know ham yielded to this persuasion and took his hat to go even when he kissed her and i never saw him approach her but i felt that nature had given him the soul of a gentleman she seemed to cling closer to her uncle even to the avoidance of her chosen husband i shut the door after him so that it might cause no disturbance of the quiet that prevailed and when i turned back i found mr peggotty still talking to her now i'm going upstairs to tell your aunt as master davy's here and that'll cheer her up a bit he said sit ye down by the fire the while my dear and warm those mortal cold hands you don't need to be so fearsome and take on so much what you go along with me well come along with me come if her uncle was turned out of house and home and forced to lay down in a dyke master davy said mr peggotty with no less pride than before it's my belief she'd go along with him now but there'll be someone else soon someone else soon emily afterwards when i went upstairs as i passed the door of my little chamber which was dark i had the indistinct impression of her being within it cast down upon the floor but whether it was really she or whether it was a confusion of the shadows in the room i don't know now i had leisure to think before the kitchen fire of pretty little emily's dread of death which added to what mr omer had told me i took to be the cause of her being so unlike herself and i had leisure before peggotty came down even to think more leniently of the weakness of it as i sat counting the ticking of the clock and deepening my sense of the solemn hush around me peggotty took me in her arms and blessed and thanked me over and over again for being such a comfort to her that was what she said in her distress she then entreated me to come upstairs sobbing that mr barkis had always liked me and admired me that he had often talked of me before he fell into a stupor and that she believed in case of his coming to himself again he would brighten up at the sight of me if he could brighten up at any earthly thing the probability of his ever doing so appeared to me when i saw him to be very small 
He was lying with his head and shoulders out of bed, in an uncomfortable attitude, half resting on the box which had cost him so much pain and trouble. I learned that when he was past creeping out of bed to open it, and past assuring himself of its safety by means of the divining rod I had seen him use, he had required to have it placed on the chair at the bedside, where he had ever since embraced it night and day. His arm lay on it now. Time and the world were slipping from beneath him, but the box was there, and the last words he had uttered were, in an explanatory tone, "'Oh, clothes!' "'Barkis, my dear!' said Peggotty, almost cheerfully, bending over him, while her brother and I stood at the bed's foot. "'Here's my dear boy, my dear boy Master Davy, who brought us together, Barkis, that you sent messages by, you know. Won't you speak to Master Davy?' He was as mute and senseless as the box, from which his form derived the only expression it had. "'He's going out with the tide,' said Mr. Peggotty to me behind his hand. My eyes were dim, and so were Mr. Peggotty's, but I repeated in a whisper, "'With the tide?' "'People can't die along the coast,' said Mr. Peggotty, "'except when the tide's pretty nigh out. They can't be born unless it's pretty nigh in, not properly born till flood. He's a-going out with the tide. It's ebb at half after three, slack water half an hour. If he lives till it turns, he'll hold his own till past the flood, and go out with the next tide.' We remained there, watching him a long time, hours. What mysterious influence my present had upon him in that state of his senses, I shall not pretend to say, but when at last he began to wander feebly, it is certain he was muttering about driving me to school. "'He's coming to himself,' said Peggotty. Mr. Peggotty touched me and whispered with much awe and reverence. "'They're both a-going out fast.' "'Barkis, my dear,' said Peggotty. "'C.P. Barkis!' he said faintly. No better woman anywhere. Look, here's Master Davy, said Peggotty, for he now opened his eyes. I was on the point of asking him if he knew me, when he tried to stretch out his arm, and said to me distinctly, with a pleasant smile, Barkis is willing. And, it being low water, he went out with the tide. End of chapter 30